This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Pastor Carr and I are sharing the preaching this morning, so you get two sermons for the price of one. But they're supposed to be half sermons. We're looking today at uh, Luke chapter 2. I'm looking at the first five verses. And this is a little bit of a rewind from last night because we are backtracking and looking at a little bit earlier than what we talked about last evening. The text says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. When God wants something to be fulfilled in his own way and in his own time, have no doubt, he can make it happen. He had already put on the lips of the prophets of old for centuries details about how he would save his people from their sins. A redeemer would come, one like us in every way except from sin. A child would be born of a virgin destined to be a prophet like Moses, a priest like Melchizedek, a king like David, in fact, in David's own line. And already in Luke's gospel, John the Baptist has been Conceived, He is the forerunner of Messiah. And he was given as a sign to Mary. And now he has actually already been born. Mary and Joseph have each received from divine affirmations from angels the nature of Mary's own pregnancy. But the time of the delivery is still very much in question. The stage is set. The prophecies are in alignment. All but the place of the birth. For even Herod's religious leaders knew where Messiah would be born. They could tell the wise men a few years later when they arrived where they could find the infant Jesus, they knew what the prophet Micah had said. The very town was mentioned. But the problem is Mary and Joseph were nowhere near that place. But God had a plan to get them there. Uh, The fact that the Roman emperors required periodic census taking for the purpose of taxation, they did that on a regular basis, that is a well-established historical fact. Every 14 years or so, they would do this 
in addition to other ones that are not recorded. Luke himself mentions two of these senses, the one that we're talking about today and another one that he talks about later on in the book of Acts. Unfortunately, the historians of the Bible scholars are still struggling to figure out how all of this relates to the governorship of Quirinius in Syria. But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole this morning. This is Christmas. We'll save that one for another time. But this is the mechanism that God uses to get Mary and Joseph moving in the right direction. They're simply victims of the circumstances. They're beyond their control. But God always knows what he's doing. And as they make their way down to Bethlehem, I'm sure they had many, many things on their minds. If Joseph leaves her in Nazareth, she'll have to bear the shame of her pregnancy all alone. And, of course, Joseph then runs the risk of missing the birth. But taking her down to Bethlehem, presumably her own hometown, just as it was for Joseph, puts her in, in the crosshairs of derision, perhaps from her own family. Many people even believe that they would have stayed with their family when they sojourned there. Do they travel down south consciously to fulfill the prophecy of Micah? Well, when you read the text, you certainly don't get that impression, the way Luke tells his story. They're just doing what they had to do. So what's a trip like from Nazareth in Galilee in the north down to Bethlehem near Jerusalem in the south? Well, on the Yixak Rabin Highway, Route 6, it's a little less than two hours if you stop for coffee. For them, it's a 90-mile journey, probably walking. The Bible doesn't tell us whether Mary rode on a donkey or not. Whatever, it was a difficult and an often dangerous trip. Many have wondered what was going on in their minds as they, as they traveled. Would they arrive safely? Would they arrive in time? What would be the response from family members who would discover, perhaps now for the first time, that Mary was pregnant? What would be the response of people about these two people who were legally married, but their marriage had not been consummated and they're traveling together? They did not know everything about why they were moving. They did not know why they were going down south other than simply to obey the requirement of the law. And they could never have known 
that what they did would be recorded for you and me and that for centuries people like you and me would remember this simple story. Let me apply this, if I may, in a way that perhaps is not intended by the original author, and you know me well enough to know I don't like to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway, because we want to apply this to our own circumstances. You and I are always in the plan of God. We may not be in this plan, but he has a plan. And we are on a life journey with dangers, with concerns, with uncertainties, with doubt, with fear. And yet God has us in the hollow of his hand. And he asks us simply to take one step at a time, not knowing what another day will bring. You don't know what another day will bring even if you think you do. But each step is in the sovereign hand of God. He watches over us. He cares for us. He loves us. And he has a plan for us. And you and I, this day, or all the days ahead, can entrust ourselves to a wonderful God who has us in, his, in the palm of his hand. And he's watching over us. And he'll make sure that we get to our destination. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed and astounded at your love and grace. That you look down upon simple wayward people like us. None of us deserves your mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness. None of us has done anything to merit or earn a place in your kingdom. But as we've been reminded today already the baby that we celebrate is the son of god he is the messiah and he gave his life that we might be redeemed and forgiven and we have the hope of eternal life and every day that you give us on this planet whether we have many more whether we have few we're all here to fulfill the mission that you've given us. You've given us the spiritual enablements. You've given us the spiritual gifts. You've allowed us the privilege of looking around, seeing that there's something to do, there's some purpose to roll up our sleeves and to serve in your kingdom. Lord, until you take us home, help us to be on life's journey with optimism, hope, and joy, knowing that you are in full control. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I was preparing for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I had this flood of Christmas movies that came to mind. Yesterday I talked about the greatest movies of all time, and I explained that for some it may be the Christmas Carol and we explored Ebenezer Scrooge yesterday. For others, I say you may try to fit Die Hard into Christmas, but um, that's a long shot. But for me, I think the famous Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is one that's always stayed near and dear to my heart. The story is a story of a man by the name of George Bailey who is at his wit's end. Everything in life never seemed to 
go exactly as he had planned. And yet, he discovered through the gift of an angel by the name of Clarence, who was after his wings, that one's life impacts another and that can have a truly powerful effect. One's life can impact another and that can have a truly powerful effect. Church, there is one whose life truly has changed everything. And that is solely Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection has changed everything in all of history. Whether one chooses to believe in him or not, Jesus Christ has changed everything. Our story picks up in Luke, six, or Luke 2, verse 6, where it says, And while they were there in Bethlehem, because of the registry and the taxation, while they were there, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. At just the right time in history, I want to put kind of uh, some uh, guardrails up for us to understand what this means that Mary was giving birth at just the right time. It was a time when there was a universal language. The Romans had conquered the world, and now there was a universal language for the gospel to be shared. For the first time, there were vast roads and safety upon those roads because of the Roman government. And now the gospel could travel from one end of Roman Empire to the next. And now, during this period, there were Roman laws, believe it or not, that could be used to protect those that would share the good news of Jesus Christ. We see this in Acts where the Apostle Paul even makes use of his being a Roman citizen to protect his right to share the gospel. At just the right time in history, we're told that she, Mary, gives birth. She gave birth to the King of Kings. She gave birth to the Lord of Lords, the Son of God. Our hymn this morning says this line, What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? And then it answers when it says, This is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Christ the King. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. The Son of God. That's who was born at just the right time in history. And as Pastor Ian already alluded to, fulfilling Scripture. Fulfilling the promises that God had made. In fact, a promise that God had made Mary herself. Listen to what the angel told her. He said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Of his kingdom there would be no end. The birth of Jesus changes everything. His kingdom would have no end. And yet it's such humble beginnings for this king of kings. 
and for this Son of God. In verse 7 it says, She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I draw your attention that this child who was born was just like any other baby. He needed his mother's care, who wrapped him in swaddling clothes, who fed him, who changed him. This child would have to learn to walk. This child would have to learn to talk. And yet all the while we're told, this is the Son of God. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Philippians 2 when he says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. This child, this son of God, humbled himself by becoming in the form of man, a baby, who needed his mother to care for him. And in this way, he was just like us. And in other ways, he was unlike us. And I don't just simply mean because he is the son of God, but this baby was rejected. And notice the text says there was no place for them in the inn. Many of us just assume the text is implying that the, the house was full, the inn was full, all the people were there for the registry. And that is one way to interpret the text. But there are many commentators believe that the innkeeper didn't want to even allow them into his inn. For her state, the situation, the rumors that had begun to spread. Either way, this baby was unlike us because he wasn't born in the warmth of a hospital. He wasn't even born in the warmth of his own home. He was born in the place of animals. He was rejected by the world right from the beginning. This baby was actually laid in an animal food trough as his first bed, his first throne. As our hymn states in the second verse, it says, Why lies he in such a mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? The hymn forces us to the question, Why is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, laying in a food trough? Why is he not sitting in a golden throne? Because there was no place for him in the inn. The outside world didn't care for him. No one took pity upon the mother or the child. And yet still today, many do not care for Jesus. The only way they ever use his name is to take it in vain. And yet this Jesus changes everything. Our hymn, yet again, answers the question, Good Christian fear, for sinners hear, the silent word is pleading. Nail's spear shall pierce him through, the cross be bore for me, for you. He came humbly. He came just like us in the form of man, 
For what purpose but to die for us? He came humbly, willing to submit his life in subjection for ours. Again, we pick up the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, there is no beautiful, more beautiful text to describe what Jesus did for us and that he exchanged his richness of heaven, the glories of heaven for the ugliness of this world, the rejection he faced. It began at his birth. It ended with him on the cross. The rejection he faced, he, reject, he faced for us. So that by his becoming poor, we might become rich. Church, this king is truly humble. He came rather to serve than be served. Even if you think about it, those who celebrate the Christmas gatherings, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, yet we give gifts to everyone but Jesus. (laughs) Even in his birthday, he serves us. He shows his grace and his love towards us. Grace upon grace, he became poor so that we could become rich. The Apostle Paul seems to have a unique knack, I believe, truly the gift of the Holy Spirit for understanding the depths to the beauty of Jesus. Listen to what he writes to the church of Galatia in Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time, that perfect time, had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, hear this, adoption as sons. Not that I would ever add to scripture, but let me quantify what type of sonship we're given. We're sons of the high king. We're sons of the high king. We've been given all the rights and the privileges of his kingdom all the blessings of his kingdom. He became poor so that we could become rich. Jesus has truly changed everything. Church, Jesus came and shared in all that we know so that we could share in all that is his. Jesus has truly changed everything. While it's true that one person can have a great impact upon another, and that's what the story of the wonderful life is teaching through George Bailey, yet for us to stop there and miss the fact that our life is nothing compared to the impact one who is called the Son of God has had upon the entire world. For there is none who compare to Christ and the impact he has made. Jesus has truly changed everything may we give him the glory to his name as our hymn states hail hail the word made flesh the babe the son of mary let's pray heavenly father we are truly overjoyed by the gift of jesus 
we're truly over, overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy that we who are sinners have received, that God himself would take on human flesh, that he would come in the form of a baby, that, that he would have to learn to walk and talk, that he would need to be cared for by a mother, that he would live a sinless life all for the purpose of dying for us so that he could stand in our place so that he can nail our sins to the cross, that he could exchange our sins with his righteousness. And Lord, we're thankful for that empty tomb that tells us his victory is ours, that death could not keep him down, and therefore we have overcome because we are his sons, we are his daughters, we are children of the high king. Lord, what a beautiful word this is. May we sing his praises today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.